Welcome to the Collective Voice of Health IT, a Weedy podcast. Hello, everyone. It's Michael McNutt with Weedy. As listeners to this podcast, you know that Weedy is a national membership organization where the healthcare IT community connects, collaborates, and creates solutions for a better health system. You also know to learn more about us, you can visit our website, wedi.org. But do you know what WEDI stands for? It stands for Work Group for Electronic Data Interchange. And those last three words, electronic data interchange, perhaps wouldn't be a thing if it wasn't for the tireless work of this week's guest. Ask folks in the know. An industry leader sums up John Zimmerman's reputation to a T. John's career spans more than 35 years with a majority spent in healthcare, engaging and serving providers and payers with companies such as IBM, Siemens, CareFusion, Allscripts, Availity, and GE. Prior to joining Hold On Solutions, John served as president of Forens Health, which was acquired from GE by Veritas Capital and is now part of Athena Health. While at GE, he led the turnaround of the value-based care solutions portfolio. As the CEO of Whole On Solutions, John sets the overall strategic direction for the company. By engaging providers, payers, and communities, the partners across the Whole On community platform, he focuses on improving operational efficiency, care quality, and the provider experience by delivering relevant patient knowledge when and where providers need it. This is why I know John's such a fantastic combination, a fantastic guest, because he matches what Weedy does so well. Remember that electronic data interchange? Well, John pioneered the formation of EDI for healthcare in the late 80s and community health interchanges in the late 90s. He's a, he's a returning guest. I, I love when we have returning guests. Welcome back to the podcast, John Zimmerman with Whole On Solutions. Michael, you're making me blush. Thank you very much. It's great to see you again. And hello, all the weedy friends. Fantastic. While I addressed a lot of your work over the years in the intro, um, we also, we still do the origin story. So please add additional snippets, little uh, pieces of wisdom, a little bits of fun facts to your origin story. What were those inspirations, aspirations, and motivations that attracted you to healthcare? And what brings you back to us today? Thank you for asking. Thank you for having me today. I'll try to do this very quick, but in a meaningful way. Um, I was an actual EDI expert in the financial services industry Mm -hmm. for IBM. One of the reasons why is my customer had the shared ATM network known as the Mac network way back when in the 70s and 80s in Philadelphia. There was a brilliant customer of IBM's that had no idea you know, who we were, but asked about, is there somebody who could help us understand how to connect payers and providers together on a transactional basis? Well, shared ATM network in Philadelphia is sort of just that. There was a hub to the banks and there were all the distributed units which were the ATMs throughout the city of Philadelphia. So IBM asked me to go talk to these guys and share that with them. That is what started the original, initial, integrated, online eligibility verification network in the United States. It was called Healthcare Data Exchange. It was owned by SMS, which eventually became Siemens mm-hmm. and now Cerner. And here's the cool, one of the coolest things. It's still working. It's still yeah. doing it. And then we started this in 1989. So it was, uh, it's quite an interesting story, but it was really about bringing important information into a healthcare 
administrative workers' workflow without them having to go search for it. So we built the standards. I was introduced to Weedy at that time, and together we all actually created this into legislation known as HIPAA, the administrative simplification portions. And because of the team at Weedy and their great reputations and dedication, they were written into law as these, the body to help always stay focused on administrative simplification. So that's why I'm a lifelong fan and devotee to the work you all are doing. And, and we appreciate greatly all the work you've done. And, you know, just to mention, a couple of years ago, you were awarded the Lewis Sullivan Award, one of our highest honors here at Weedy at our national conference. Um, every time we talk, value-based care is always brought up. Uh, you know, why is it so critical that we get value-based care? And I love the, the phrasing, right. Why is it so critical to get value-based care right today? Um, there's really sort of two, two aligned reasons why, okay? First and foremost, the largest health plan in the world, known as CMS, is ensuring that it is going to be the payment mechanism for the future, mm -hmm. okay? They do, do, we know that we're in a mixed environment now, but their direction is very clear. In fact, the head of the uh, CMS chief transformation officer just two nights ago said, and I quote, that everybody's going to be in a managed, uh, managed care contract by uh, 2030. So it's, this direction is undeniable. So why, why, will it, why does it need to be right? Well, the people who pay for healthcare know that this is a better way by paying for outcomes versus overall paying for just activity. They want to see a, uh, an improvement based on the funding that they bring to the world. And I think they're right to do so. So that's number one. The other reason for value-based care is its purpose is for better health of our citizens, of all of us. So they want to make sure that all the right things are being done in the most cost-effective way. How could you not want that, okay? So it's got its um, sort of social value purpose in what we're trying mm -hmm. to do and the affordability and ensuring that there's that accountability and drive towards outcomes, which is inherent in the design. Excellent. You address the benefits right here with that uh, last question. Uh, how does the shift from fee-for-service to value-based care change administrative work in healthcare? Um, I'm gonna. I, I look at it this way, and I think you'll really appreciate this, uh, especially with all of your background and expertise. Um, in the world of fee for service, what what happens? Right, you adjudicate a claim, a claim of something that is a contract for a price of something to be done. Okay, that's fee for service. Right, mm -hmm. adjudicating a claim. Okay. How do you adjudicate a three-year value-based contract? It's not about, did you do these procedures at this price? It's not about that because that's just the transactional side. There are a lot of other soft things that have to happen in order to meet value-based care principles. 
you have to know that what has happened so far includes everything that should have happened. And that's where the population health management, the other tools start to come into place because they do the differential analysis between what happened and what was supposed to have happened. And when that differential analysis is done, that creates what's typically called gaps in care or gaps in coding, okay? Those gaps in care and gaps in coding create work slash rework on the clinical and administrative people in the practices. So it's really difficult to make sure that all the right things happen at each encounter in order to do that. So it creates significant more um, administrative work. Here's another big concept, per contract. Each of the contracts are, are similar, but different and unique. So how the heck are they gonna keep up with all this administrative work that requires precision action and precision proof to go back to the source so that, quote, value-based care contract can be adjudicated. That's what's making it so hard. Excellent. We are chatting with Weedy Lewis Sullivan Award winner, John Zimmerman, CEO of Hold On Solutions here on the Collective Voice of Health IT. Um, let's play a little follow the leader here. What's one thing organizations can do to make the most impact with value-based care, A, and B, what is Holon contributing to this? I think it's always important to do the work to understand what's causing the pain, okay? We, doctors do that and nurses do that with our bodies. This is a system thing. So it's super important to go into your organization, especially at the practice level, and find out where the administrative work is particularly heavy and difficult, okay? So you have to understand, a friend of mine says, you know, you spend 95% of your time understanding the problem, 5% fixing it, okay? Mm, yes. So take a look inside your own organization and try to look for those heavy administrative burden pain points. I just want to say that these kinds of things are major contributors to the burnout epidemic in healthcare today. This is one of the root causes. And I think it's super important to have each organization understand where their pain is. And if you're a health plan, understand where the pain in your provider networks are because it's, it's everywhere. So that's what I think everybody should quote unquote start with. Okay, and part of the, and you ask the question, well, what do we do about that? Well, we do a couple of things with that. First of all, we understand what that is because we ask them and we're very diligent in how we try to figure that out with them, not with us, with them, okay? Then what they tell us that you will really appreciate as a weedy veteran, okay? They tell us what precise information they need to have in that person's workflow based on the system that they have and the role that they have. Mm. So it's really important to understand the roles and the information they need because much of the burden is they have to go look for something that they don't have. 
and they don't have time to look. And so really understanding that burden and then really understanding what they need to see and have at their fingertips from whatever source to relieve that burden is exactly what we do. And we give it to them the way they want to use it. We know how they want to use it because we ask them and they tell us. Okay? So that's, I'd say, sort of the process grounding. The other thing is a sort of a mentality. And I'm watching it happen now. And be ready, willing, and able to collaborate. If there was ever an organization in the history of our industry that facilitated cross-industry collaboration, it's Weedy. Okay? So what we're witnessing is to set these new sort of information flows up. It takes collaboration across payers and providers, mm -hmm. plural on both sides. Okay? Super important. And it's happening. And when they both are sharing a common data set or a common view of how this, these new exchanges are happening and how it's impacting the quality measures and the risk score accuracy, a new level of collaboration comes as a result of that where they ask each other, how can we do even more, even better, okay? I'm watching that happen. And you can imagine how thrilling that is because, look, we didn't design this mess that we have, okay, because there was no design. But we have to work together in smart and collaborative ways to get out of it. I'm going to tell you a very quick story if I could. Is that okay? Please do. Customer? Please do. All right. So working with a provider, here's how we essentially boiled it down. So this wonderful lady is a primary care doctor with a care team. She runs ambulatory clinical services for a health system. So, and she's responsible for quality and value-based care. So she's got all the right quote responsibilities. Okay. She and I had the pleasure of presenting earlier this week at a, at a uh, payer event, payer provider event. Okay. Um, and I'll talk about that in collaboration in just a sec. But what she, was, what she essentially had to say, her key messages were as follows. Because of the work that they're doing with us, she no longer has to do a number of tasks. She doesn't have to look for the information she needs about her patients outside because it's brought to her her way. What does that do? So by not having to look for things, she's able to focus more time and precise attention on the patients and what they need. So if she doesn't have to look and she's got the right focus on the right things, here's the coolest part of all. All of the incentives in this system that have been constructed then start to be collected. So she gets her quality rewards, her risk or accuracy rewards, better patient care, less work on her team, less problems and better patient care. Because of this new continuum, she doesn't have to, so she can, so she gets. It just worked. And she and I stepped back, and that's the way it happened, okay? Now, as you probably, I'm sure you probably know, I, I want to just give a big shout-out to Class Research. 
because they've been facilitating this kind of collaboration and looking for points of light. This is really important. And I, I, I welcome all the weedy people to figure out what class is doing and figure out how to join in. This is a movement that we owe it to our health system to get right together, just like we did back in the 90s. Okay, it's time to do it again. Excellent. John, this has been a fantastic conversation. Let's talk future. CMS has already kind of laid it down, 2030. You know, they've already said it. So so what do we see here from 2023 to 2030 and perhaps even beyond as it relates to value-based care? What are we looking at here? There's, there's I'm going to confess that I am a uh, perpetually scarred optimist. Okay. <laughs> so I, I think... that the promise of value-based care is achievable. It's going to take the collaboration that we talked about, but we're in such an advanced technological environment Mm -hmm. that as difficult as it sounds, this is really doable if you you stick to the the principles of the why. So when value-based care really is the the state of the industry, what what are you going to have, okay? You're, you, you, by the nature of doing it well, you're going to have a healthier population. It's going to happen because all the right information about the individuals is going to the right people who can take action on it. That's going to happen. The next thing that will happen, and I believe it's happening now, but it will happen even, even greater, more convenient settings of care. What's the fastest growing part of the industry? Care at home. Okay. Why? Well, because of all these reasons and because technology supports it. So healthier population cared for more conveniently with better access, more equity, because baked into a lot of the algorithms that are coming today is the understanding of the different ethnicities and social constructs that that affect how people should be treated. Okay, that's getting woven in. And that's one of the big pillars from CMS as well. So I'm very optimistic that we're working on all the right things in the right direction, but it's going to take work, okay? And it is not easy, and it requires partnership. Absolute fantastic recipe for success there. I absolutely love it. Uh, John, Share with us, I mean, whether it's seeing into your crystal ball years ago, knowing what was going to happen and how we're going to attack it and address it, uh, feel free to share with our audience some words of wisdom, plug, promote. What would you like to share with the Weedy and the podcast audience that we have? So um, my dear good friend, customer, who I work with arm in arm every day, uh, the physician leader that I talked about, she, she and I have read a book together. She got me into it, and it's a really great one. It's from a Vietnamese Buddhist monk, and the title of the book is No Mud, No Lotus. The uh, Vietnamese monk is famous around the world for his ability to make the world better and to encourage others. His name is Thich Nhat Hanh, okay? And the essential message is, look, Life is hard, and if you but if you do good things and you work hard with others at doing good things, lotus flowers appear. 
So when you feel like you're in the mud, that's okay. Keep working it, and that's the formula for creating lotus flowers, which I would like to equate to the future of healthcare when value-based care reaches its potential. Beautiful. Beautiful statement. I love that. John, as always, whether it's on podcasts, at our Weedy conferences, at the multiple task groups that you're with, it's fantastic. It's always a pleasure to have you and, and, and for you to share your wisdom. It's just a, a fun experience, regardless of the time that we get to spend, short, long, it's always a good time. Michael, thank you so much. And, and big, big hugs to all the weedy people. Please tell them I said hi. Hello, podcast people. Thank you for this opportunity to share our journey through the mud to the lotus to collaborate and really realize the problem, the promise, excuse me, of value-based care. Definitely. We're all in the mud together. We're working hand in hand, and those lotus flowers will come soon enough. This has been the Collective Voice of Health IT, a Weedy podcast, where the healthcare IT community connects, collaborates, and creates solutions for a better health system. Find all our episodes as well as information on our association on our website, wedi.org. Thank you for joining us, and be safe.